BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and here's the thing. I'm doing something super bizarre today. First, I just want to remind you to go to Apple Podcasts and sign up for my Apple Premium. We are having so much fun with it. It's like small bite-sized weekly content clustered by seasons. And each season is like eight episodes that are really bite-sized that touch on one topic. And of course, if you enjoy any episode please don't hesitate to write a little review, give a five-star rating. You have no idea how much it helps me just taking that extra time. And I know it takes a minute and a minute feels fast, but a minute is a long time in the life of a caregiver. So I really, really appreciate it. And you can sign up for my free Substack newsletter, dralizapressman.substack.com. Today's episode is a total departure. Have a listen it's kind of just a little bit of fun I'm having. If you don't like hearing about this kind of thing, you can send me a DM on Instagram at Raising Good Humans and say, come on, get back to the science. This is an unorthodox episode, but for those of you who watch Succession, this is an episode breaking down the parenting and the psychological construction of a family for season four, episode three, because it was just so filled with nuggets of how early experiences shape us and how these parent-child relationships and sibling relationships are so fascinating and complex. So if you do not watch Succession or if you have not watched season four, episode three, don't listen to this because of the major spoiler alerts. I was so into this particular episode of Succession. And my daughter and her friends from her debate team were also really obsessed with kind of how this plays out in thinking about developmental research and parenting. And so they actually were the ones who asked me to pay attention to the scenes. And I was like, oh my God, I did. That's so crazy. I wanted somebody to talk to about this. (laughs) And then I found these brilliant teenagers who were also thinking about it. So I told Drew Barrymore, and she too was completely in on the collective holy shit of this episode of Succession. And so she put on Instagram a couple of analyses of the scenes. 
And so I thought it would be fun to just deep dive into it. So a lot of people felt emotional about these characters that they feel so conflicted about. And so, you know, they're so hard to like, but so many people talked about being just devastated watching this episode. It brought up so many feelings. And I think a lot of that comes from, this is a collective language. When you start to look at a human being, no matter how horrific their behavior is, and imagine their early experiences, you start to understand because we all have been there. Even if we had amazing early experiences, there's just this collective empathy. Once you break it down to, well, what happened? How did they get here? So you have these four kids who had the same experiences in the big picture, raised in the same way, but how they respond to those experiences is quite different. And watching the damage that's done from the kind of repeated emotional abuse, that is trauma. And you are seeing their varying trauma responses and their real bond that comes out of having that shared experience. So as the viewers, we are in, we're in and we're feeling it. And we're even feeling a loss at this terrible narcissistic dad who is just treating everyone so horribly. But all of a sudden there's that understanding of mixed feelings. It's just kind of wild what happens. These writers are brilliant. Okay. So the opening scene is between Logan Roy, the patriarch and his son, Roman, who is the chosen son right now. He's in the favored position. And so it's like a friendly, hey, pop. And really quickly, he asks his father if he's coming to Connor's wedding and finds out he's not. Then Logan says, you know, another thing, I'm I'm not happy with Jerry and you need to take care of that. And then finally, when he senses hesitation from his son to do these things, he says, you're not just fucking around, are you? So like he is letting him know he needs to listen to him or he's withdrawing. Originally, I had pulled clips from the scenes that I wanted to talk about, but copyright laws, totally respect them. So we can't do that. I'm just going to let you know what those scenes said. Then you kind of get the gist or you can go back and watch the show. Okay, so that first scene is the first one that I want to talk about. It's the opening scene. And it right away starts out letting you see the incredibly excruciating, messed up attachment approach. So what we have is this moment where Roman is the favored son. And what happens is that in order to be the favored son, you have to do things to prove your loyalty to your dad. And so Logan asks his son to do two things that were so harmful to his own psyche. He asks Roman to break the bad news to his brother that he's not going to show up for his wedding. And he doesn't even explicitly say it, which is even worse. He's sort of lightly passing by it, naming what present they got him. And then 
you can see that Roman's disappointed, but he can't really do anything because he has to tread lightly in the event that his dad decides, you know what, then I'm not going to have you be the favored son. And Roman knows because he's been in and out of favor. And then he asks him to fire Jerry. Jerry is a woman who he clearly has a messed up kind of sense of mommy girlfriend. There's something about her that turns him on when she disciplines him. And I think that she's a proxy for his mother. He never had a mom. She wasn't present. And so here's this woman who is doing this disciplinarian act and putting guardrails up and he's turned on by it. It's, It's a whole other thing. But the point is, is his father knows that this person matters to him and he wants him to show his loyalty by cutting her off. Then Logan senses the hesitancy in Roman's voice and he does this coercive thing. This is coercive parenting in action where he snaps at him and he's like, you're with me, aren't you? You're not just fucking around. And in doing that, it might just seem like a throwaway line, but what he's saying is my love for you rests on your loyalty and behavior. And so if you don't do something that will inevitably harm you and prove your loyalty to me, then I'm going to cut you off. You won't be the favored one anymore. And that is what we get when we have controlling parents who use psychological harm and threats, and they're totally implicit to get us to do something that they want us to do. So keep in mind, this coercive parenting is is the use of kind of harsh behavior. And it can be harsh behavior that includes physical abuse, but we often forget about the emotional and psychological control that parents use to try to enforce compliance. And that emotional psychological control and the use of it over and over, which we've seen over and over, it messes with your connection with your child. And what happens is there's this invalidation of Roman's feelings, the invalidation of the the child, even if it's an adult child, there's an invalidation of his feelings about not showing up to Connor's wedding, an invalidation of his feelings about Jerry. And when you do that and then you manipulate, you end up watching coercive parenting in action. And the cycle is the problem. It's not once in a while. It's been his whole life. And the parent disengages when they're not getting what they want, which brings the child back in. And so even as adults, this is the cycle that's happening. If you think like this is just a relational issue, so it only impacts a, a relationship with his father. And so fine, he has a terrible relationship with his father. But no, Roman has never been able to have a healthy relationship with a romantic partner. He is unable to have healthy friendships because this is the style in which his attachment was born. I'm going to take a little break to tell you about my sponsors. My first sponsor, KiwiCo, is a great way to connect with your kids, be screen-free, or have your kids playing but not reverting to the screen because you just really want them to do something but you don't want to turn the TV on and you don't want to find all the materials and give all the suggestions, that's where KiwiCo comes in. It's so fun because each month KiwiCo delivers crates packed with fun 
that sparks creativity. There are kid-friendly topics and activities from engineering to robots to learning the science of cooking. And there are interesting topics for every kid with real hands-on ways to explore. And listen, I love open-ended play. It's the dream. But we don't always have the bandwidth for open-ended, child-directed play. Sometimes we, we, we want a little structure to make our day easier. And it's so fun to get these super cool hands-on projects. And they're delivered to your door. You do not have to add anything. And there's no commitment to the subscription. You can pause or cancel at any time. This is just parent-friendly. So redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash RGH. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash RGH. Sakara is a flexible signature nutrition program that makes it so easy to plan nourishing feel-good meals around your busy spring schedule. Dinner plans this week? You can sign up for breakfast and lunches and just make it easier on yourself to not have to think about it and make sure that you get the nutrients that you need when you are rushed and life is busy. If you're tired of the same takeout, you can choose dinners and you can customize even more when you subscribe. The options are endless. Basically, what I'm trying to say is Sakara can make it so easy to take care of your insides and feel good. And the meals are ready to eat, delivered to your door. They are plant-based. And so you can try out whether or not that feels good to you. It feels so good to me. Sakara brings expertly designed organic nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their science-backed, ready-to-eat meals deliver results you can see and feel, from managing your skin and easing bloat to boosting your energy. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash humans or enter the code humans at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash humans to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash humans or enter the code humans at checkout, sakara.com slash humans. That's Sakara. So the second part is the exchange with Willa, who's about to get married to a man that we don't really think she's in love with, and her mother, who says it's like you're a princess in a film. And Willa accepts it, but definitely expresses hesitation in her voice and through her facial expressions and any attuned parent would have seen that. And she saw it and her way of dealing with that was to say, he'll take care of you. That very minor scene between Willa and her mother, you can't see their faces, but what's going on is that this is another opportunity for parent-child connection. And instead, it's a parent who is not letting her child have her feelings because She wants to convince her to take on this life. So it's clear that Willa has some hesitance. She's wondering if this is a bad decision. This is not a person that she's in love with. And she expresses it through kind of her body language and and a little bit in her words. But when you're attuned to your child or anyone, anybody watching can tell 
that she's not sure if this is the right thing to do. And her mother has a moment where she can say, hey, I'm noticing that you're feeling this particular way. I want to be here to support you. What's going on? And instead, she says, he'll treat you like a princess and he'll take care of you. And she does so looking her dead in the eye with a tinge of disappointment, like don't mess this up. It's a small moment, but it just shows you that we have opportunities to be present, available, and read the cues and then help our kids, or we can use psychological control to mess with them, even in their adult lives. Okay, so they're not the main characters, but it just was a moment that I wanted to point out. The next scene is between siblings. And it's so quick. It's just Shiv noticing that something's going on with Roman just from his way of standing almost. She says, you are right. And he says, fuck you, I'm fine. And she says, fuck you, I was just asking. And she walks away. And it's just a moment. It's small, but you have these moments where you think, God, you know, these characters who are of questionable likability they have a connection and it's likely born of a shared experience being completely neglected and emotionally controlled. But together, they show you that there's capacity and there is something really sweet about the fact that they're there for each other. And you can tell that he feels guilty. So now we get to a scene where Roman is so set off by what his father's asked of him because he talks to Jerry and he has this reaction and he tries to stand up for himself to his dad. And so what's heartbreaking about this is that he stands up to him. You can see that he is really struggling because he has an insecure attachment relationship. He knows that subconsciously or consciously, his father may remove his love at any given moment. and he is sometimes moving toward him and sometimes pushing him away. And so now he's pushing him away and he's saying how he feels, but he is about to find out that his father is dead. And there is this part of him, he asks, you know, did he listen to the phone message? And he wonders, like, is this something that I brought on? Did my expression of disdain or anger or hurt somehow cause my father to have a heart attack. And what's really sad is that even in his death, he is burdening, Logan is burdening his children with wondering if it's their fault because each of them has a moment of wondering. Okay, jumping ahead. So this next scene that I want to talk about is when Connor's siblings bump into Willa and her mom and they ask how Connor's doing and she says, that she was really fixated on this cake that he kept calling the loony cake. And Kendall and Roman kind of explain that that was probably because it's the kind of cake that he was given when they told Connor his mom was getting taken and they gave him Victoria's sponge cake for a week straight. Here we have this moment. It's kind of incredible that Connor is having a visceral reaction to this kind of cake that brings him back to childhood where his father would do something like give him cake 
to deal with the pain of having his mom taken away in front of him to go to a mental institution. And what I found so poignant is that not only is he having this triggering experience when he tastes the cake or sees that that's the cake, but his siblings remember and they name it. And all of a sudden you, you see this brotherly love where he actually knows what his brother's going through. And part of it is they all have a knowing look with each other, like, oh, it's the loony cake. They have a name for it. I feel like it's from this shared trauma that they kept experiencing over and over, this way of being treated where your feelings don't matter and we're going to do horrible things to you. Like, I'm going to be the kind of father who rips your mother away from you, who emotionally abuses you. And when something bad happens, that I'm actually the arbiter of, I'm going to give you metaphoric cake. So it wasn't necessarily the cake for everybody, but the cake is a metaphor for trying to have this back and forth of, I'm going to do something horrible, then I'm going to give you something to make it feel good, but I'm not going to talk to you about what happened. I'm never going to let you actually feel those feelings. I'm going to try to cover them up because I can't handle them. So anyway, that shared experience and this connection that all the siblings have is just unfolding so beautifully at the same time as all of this horrible stuff is happening. Okay, so now I'm moving to when they're processing and sort of talking through their dad's dying moment. So this next scene is when it gets really emotional because Roman and Kendall have found out that their father is dying, dead, something is going on. Roman gets on the phone to try to give him a kind of a last message. And he starts off saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because you're a monster and you just win. These are Roman's words. And then you see him struggling and he's like, wants to say something nice. And he says, you're, you're a good dad. And then as he says the words, you're a good dad, his body like responds because it's just it's not an integrated thing to say. It doesn't go with what he feels inside, but he feels like he has to say it and he wants it to be true. And then he just says, I, I, I can't do this. And he gives the phone up to Kendall. Their messages to him are so conflicted. It clearly, they're so sad and they're so taken aback, but both of them dealing with it in different ways with a clear insecure attachment relationship. They don't even know how to feel because when they're telling him something that feels inauthentic, but they have to do it, it's like they're, they're not integrated people in that moment. They can't figure out how to say he did good and that they love him because then they also feel so much hurt and anger and resentment, but they also are brought back to just little children who love their dad and want his approval. And what is so heartbreaking is when they go tell Shiv and Shiv, you watch Thaw, like Shiv is the coldest of the siblings. And she goes and reverts into this child that we haven't seen in her. Shiv is getting the phone and this is just after she was told by Kendall that something was wrong. And he, her automatic response was, you know, is it mom? And that she was very cold and able to handle it. And then all of a sudden 
It's her dad. And now she's taking the phone and she's really matter of fact, hey, dad, hey, dad, you're going to be okay. And then as she realizes what is happening, she completely breaks down and we see an emotional Shiv. We see Shiv as a little girl and she says, daddy, and you just feel it. She goes from dad in this cold way to daddy and she knows and you hear a completely different Shiv. You picture this like six-year-old Shiv who's running into her daddy's arms and he's saying like, I love you, Pinky. And it's a moment where we have a sense of how that relationship felt. It's a moment where we see that there is a little girl in there. So now the siblings realize they have to tell Connor and we can't show this on the podcast. There was this beautiful moment where the camera sees Shiv and Kendall touch hands, almost like they needed to hold hands to go do something so hard, like tell Connor and process that their dad died. But this moment was so fast. I just found it so beautiful because all these little moments, in addition to seeing this complex, totally terrible relationship with their father, we're also seeing this connection with these siblings. And again, it's born of likely shared terrible experiences, but just like imagining that they probably haven't held hands since they were little kids and that they really both went right for that moment. And then I think the most heartbreaking line, because it represented everybody's feelings, was Connor. So Connor's response is much more detached at first. And you know that he is so dissociated from it. And his line is, is gutting. So he just says, oh man, he never even liked me. And then he kind of backpedals with that because he knows that's just like a disturbing thing to say. And then he says, I never got a chance to make him proud of me. So, so much in there. So he never even liked me. That's really how he felt. And to top it off, he's finding out that his father died on the day of his wedding and wasn't showing up to the wedding. He didn't die on the way to the wedding. He died on the way to another country to do a business deal. That's how little regard he had or capacity he had. So it's a double painful moment. And then he still is like, I just didn't get a chance to make him proud. And what I think he does when he says that is it's a giant reminder that when we live our lives to live up, to uphold the image that our parents want us to be, when our entire identity is wrapped up in who our parent is, So in this case, their whole identity was in relation to being the child of Logan Roy. And how Logan Roy felt about each one of them was so inextricably linked to how they felt about themselves that they don't even know who they are without him. Their whole identity is about who they are in relation to their father. And if they are living up to what he expects of them. After all of this, just like he's not showing up to his wedding because he went to a business meeting. He's that 
insignificant to his father. But even in that moment, he's like, I just didn't have a chance to make him proud. This middle-aged man is still hanging on the idea that someday his identity will be realized because he will make his father proud. So you can imagine that for all these kids, these adult children, they do not know who they are. They do not know who they are because they were never given the chance to become who they are. What I didn't mention was a moment right before when they were telling Shiv that something was wrong. Shiv's first response was pretty cold. Is it mom? Did something happen to mom? And that was something she could handle. Her brain could process something happening to her mother because she had really disconnected from her mom so long ago. But then when it was her father, that was an unreasonable emotional load. I mean, there is so much more. There's the way that Kendall just wants to talk to the pilot. Like he he's like a, a child who just wants to control things and and yell and get the best doctor and the best everything because he he just wants to fix it with money but and control, but he can't. And of course, that's so understandable in you know, in those kinds of situations, we all cling to something we can control. But in this case, it's like the first time that they can't fix things with their dad stepping in in his power. So they can't live up to his ability to fix everything. And his fixing is giving the cake, the metaphoric cake. They can't do it. They can't even find a cake to fix it. What we've seen here in just the first half of this episode is this extraordinary power of early experience and the parent-child relationship and how deeply, deeply powerful it is and that those kinds of messages are so ingrained in us in those developing years that as full-grown adults, you can see it clear as day and they are all unrealized every single one of those kids is going to probably spend the rest of time figuring out who they are now that Logan is gone. I want to address a couple more moments. I'm not going to play the scenes, but just recognizing that the key here is that each one of these kids, adult kids, has a different response, all a different kind of attachment relationship none of whom had a secure attachment relationship. And I'm going to take a little bit of time to remind everybody what those psychological constructs are. And you saw in repeated moments of how each deals with it, whether it was denial, whether it was falling apart and reverting back to childhood, whether it was a distancing, a dissociative kind of quality. These are all responses that are coming from what is being triggered inside of them upon losing this figure that is entirely responsible for their identity. When they lose this attachment figure who really shapes who they are. And we're not even talking about, apart from when Shiv sort of distantly said, did something happen to mom? We know from past episodes when we met their mother. She was absolutely disconnected from them. She had a real incapacity to give them anything emotionally. And so the only caregiver they had that gave them any love 
was their dad. But their dad's love was so toxic and conditional and very hard to predict, which brings me to how we understand what happens to kids when they grow up in unpredictable environments with adults who just don't give them security of the relationship. Now, just as a reminder, for those of you who don't know, a secure attachment relationship is the ideal kind of relationship. And attachment, just so you're not freaked out, is a dynamic thing. So it's not like, oh, I never got this, so I'm never going to be able to have whole relationships. But ideally, in your early experiences, you have secure attachment relationships, meaning at least you have one caregiver with whom you have a trusting relationship. You know they're going to be there and you know what to expect. And so that allows kids to explore comfortably their environment. When children can trust that if they encounter a threat, they can return to their parent for safety, it means that they view their parent as a secure base. But if that threat actually comes from their parent, and if that threat comes from their parents some of the time, not all of the time, then an insecure attachment relationship emerges. So one of the things that emerges is a worry that they don't know if their parent is going to return, if, they, if their parent is going to bring back love, either physically or metaphorically. And that's an insecure, ambivalent attachment. Or they might be able to explore. I'm using the word explore because when you look at attachment research, it comes from those early experiments and they look at the capacity for these young children to explore to kind of move into the world confidently. But that goes all the way into adulthood. So think of exploring, if you think about these characters, like their ability to interact in the world in that safe way where they aren't hypervigilant that something bad is going to come at them. And so in the case of an insecure avoidant relationship, you might be able to sometimes be out in the world confidently. And you might even be able to think that your parent is a source of comfort, but sometimes you might not. And so you develop this way of protecting yourself by not needing. And so you see that in Shiv, for example. I think she probably displays that kind of detached, avoidant way of not knowing how to be in relation with people because love is dangerous but then also desperately wanting it from her father. There's also something called disorganized attachment, and it's children who have really conflicted and inconsistent responses to the point of abuse. That that happens in the smallest percentage of kids. And it's usually because of erratic behaviors that are confusing in adulthood. Now, I think that there's different ways of sort of saying none of these kids had a secure attachment relationship with their dad. All of them had some version of insecure, whether it was avoidant, ambivalent, anxious, disorganized. These are so difficult because if you don't know where you get this hot commodity of love or attention, these are the different ways that you decide how to adaptively shift your way of being in relation to someone else so that you are okay. So you've got these characters who are showing us the features of relationships that are not secure. Here are some features that you might recognize. 
being fearful, feeling that they don't deserve love. Those are parts of what can happen. Having a sense that you need a tremendous amount of independence. You know, if you think about Shiv, she has a very, very difficult relationship with her husband because she really seeks independence. She does not want to need or give or rely or be reliable. But every once in a while, particularly in this episode, all of a sudden she is a little girl who just needs to know that this one person that she occasionally felt extraordinary love from was gone and was not going to be able to give it to her anymore, no matter what she did. When you are anxiously attached and you, you have this combination of worrying that you want a relationship, but you don't know if another person is going to be able to give it to you or if they're going to leave. And so you are really vigilant. So all of these different reactions are variations on a theme, which is if you just separate it all, you don't have to get into the different kinds of attachment to understand that you could just split it up into two. There's secure attachment relationships. That's not what these kids, not one of them has experienced. And there are variations of the big umbrella of insecurely attached relationships. And those adult kids have never experienced unconditional love where whatever happened, their father's love wasn't hanging in the balance and it wasn't going to be extreme. You know, like if you are pleasing me, I'm going to offer you the moon and I'm going to tell you you are the sun. But if you're not pleasing me, I will rip that away so fast and I won't acknowledge it. And so you'll have to figure out over your childhood and throughout your life how to walk the line to get what you need from me and then ultimately what you need from other people or what you can give to other people. Now, all of these things make it more challenging to have healthy adult relationships, but of course, relationships are dynamic and you can go to therapy, you can recognize these things, you can have self-reflection and you can right these wrongs, but none of these characters were able to do that yet. So I mentioned coercive parenting when I was talking about what Logan Roy was doing. Coercive parenting is really about control. And it's when parents use their power to manage, manipulate, and abuse, really, their children. Now, abuse doesn't have to be hitting. It doesn't have to be sexual abuse. Abuse can be psychological control to get your child to be compliant, to get your, you know, all through life, this relationship, that the relationships that we're looking at are adults, but it's still the same thing, using nastiness, criticism, downright verbal abuse to get what you need from that person who is your child and making it so that the children themselves grow up needing to manipulate in order to not get screamed at, to get your love, to get what they need, because how else will they be able to function? And so coercive control can take many forms, but it can also happen in these small everyday ways that we don't even realize. Obviously, succession is so extreme. 
But when you repeatedly criticize, humiliate, demean, over time, it takes such a toll. And of course, there is a possibility of creating a relationship that turns into what we see on this show. And I think the shaming and withdrawing that happens in those coercive parenting approaches that we imagine what Logan Roy was like as a as a parent of the, these younger kids. And then also we saw in real time in the opening scene and throughout the show, his way of doing this sort of shaming and guilting and withdrawing love and just criticizing and being so manipulative. We understand that how can you th- thrive? Like how could these kids ever grow up into fully realized adults? Because they're primary attachment figure, their father could not allow them to grow. So I'm not saying we don't grow up and become responsible for who we are. And it will be very interesting to see what happens in the future of this show. But when we're talking about this with not fictional characters and just in life, you are not responsible for what you experienced as a child. You are responsible for how you come to terms with it as an adult so that you don't then impart that on your children so that you can stop the cycle. So people talk about reparenting and you can reparent yourself. You you can also go into therapeutic sessions where your therapist helps you with that, but you can certainly break cycles where you recognize that you were treated this way and you don't go on the autopilot that you would naturally have to do the same with your kids. Even when you are so, so loving. And I do think Logan Roy loved his kids, but he did not know how to give them love unconditionally. And it destroyed them as humans. I should say like, lest anybody panic, we all do coercive and manipulative things with people in our lives. These, these things happen. It's just when it's persistent and harmful and you don't notice it. Like I gave a very tiny example on Instagram where I was helping my 13-year-old pick out shoes. And I said to her, you get to choose whatever you want. And she, you know, within the confines of the price point that I said and what's appropriate. But I said, of these choices, it's your choice. And she had said she wanted gold shoes. And I really felt like silver, no disrespect to gold because I love gold shoes, but I really felt like silver would look better. But instead of being overt about it, I just handed her the options of of silver and said, you get to choose. And she said, well, not really, because you already just gave me silver options when I said I wanted to wear gold. So what you mean is I get to choose among what you want me to wear, which was totally an example, a very tiny example of me being a little bit manipulative, right? Like I want her to sort of wear the silver shoes, but I don't want to tell her because I'm pretending to be a much more thoughtful and choice-giving mom. What I should have done was not mess with her and said, look, you're wearing silver shoes. I'm going to be controlling because in this particular moment, I'm paying for the shoes. It's a family event. And this is just one of those moments. Or I should have said, you get to choose, but then let her choose again within the confines of appropriate price and look. So what was coercive, manipulative, and kind of I'm not proud of was that I did not tell her in, you know, I wasn't 
was that I was not straightforward about what I was giving her. I was kind of suggesting that I was giving her a choice when I really wasn't giving her a choice. So we can do these things in small ways. Is our attachment relationship at risk? Hell no. It was a moment. She also felt safe enough to call me out on it. I felt completely capable of apologizing and being open and realizing my mistake. And we were fine. We're all going to make those mistakes constantly. The issue is our inability to see it, our inability to make repairs. And of course, in these extreme examples, I'm hoping nobody has this extreme example of succession because it's so aberrant, but we're all going to have moments where we say and do things that we're not proud of, where we kind of know how we can exhibit a little bit of psychological control because we just want the day to go better or we just want what we want from our kid in that moment. This is not the problem. The problem is not reflecting, not empathizing, not repairing, and not coming to terms with our own experiences. I know I am taking very seriously these fictional characters, but it's really interesting. And it's an it's a kind of a fun way to understand developmental psychology because you get to watch the outcome of all of the things that we talk about. Like here, here's why it matters to have secure attachment relationships. Here is why it matters that we pay attention. So many of the things we fixate on just don't matter. All of the little details that we get so tied up in knots over aren't going to matter in the big picture of raising good humans. It's this. This is the kind of thing that matters. And the heartening thing is that this is doable. This is doable. The majority of people, without their parents even knowing they were doing it, have developed secure attachment relationships. If you feel like you haven't, you do the work and your children are going to be golden. If you feel like you haven't and you're not going to do the work, that's the red flag. So that's a really small percentage. And it's even smaller if you're listening to this podcast. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.